And there's a times in our life that sometimes we look down upon small things. Notice that the word, even the word small, is mentioned 95 times in the Bible. 95 times. Uh, God has a purpose behind the small things in life. So you've got your Bibles there in Zechariah. It's probably not a book of the Bible that we turn to every single day and everything like that, but uh, no doubt it is a great book. Zechariah in chapter number 4 is coming to his fifth vision, his fifth vision. And upon his fifth vision, we find him, uh, you would, might think he's jovial. You might think that he is expecting. You might think that he's happy, he's excited, he's glad, he's jumping up and down. But uh, we find him asleep. <laughs> That's where he's at. He's just simply asleep. You say, why is that, preacher? Uh, the reason is, is because as you look and study your Bibles, you'll find out that the people of God, that when they received visions for, from God... It was not oftentimes a, a, a time of energetic response, but oftentimes it brought about uh, some depression, and it oftentimes brought about a tiredness to them uh, because it was so heavy upon their hearts. Look at Daniel whenever he receives his visions. He's heavy. He's heavy. It kind of makes you wonder in the, uh, today's uh, churches and today's uh, people that claim they have visions and, uh, and they're all jovial and everything is, everything's A-OK, uh, not according to the visions of uh, the Word of God. Zechariah in the temple uh, saw a vision of an angel and he was struck dumb for uh, nine months, 40 weeks. Uh, can you imagine? Uh, if you had such a vision. But nonetheless, whenever Isaiah had his vision, in Isaiah chapter number 6, what happened to him? He fell down as a dead man there before God Almighty. And uh, if you ever wonder, what would happen if I saw a vision? What would happen if I saw an angel? What would happen if I even perchance uh, one day come into the presence of God? Uh, I tell you what's going to happen is that you're going to fall down. You're going to get down on your knees. You're going to fall down in his presence. You're going to be uh, say, you know what, I, I, I trembling, scared. Uh, these visions that he saw were amazing. They were awesome. And they teach for us a wonderful truth. And uh, I wish this morning we had the time. Uh, it would really take us probably two to three, four Sundays to really go through all the New Testament uh, revelations that are revealed to us in Zechariah 4. Uh, we could go over to spend many weeks even in Revelations chapter number 2 and 3 that deal with some of the things of the lampstands that are found here in this book here. Uh, we could deal with the headstone that he speaks of that I read to you just a few moments ago. Who is the headstone? Who is the cornerstone? It is Jesus Christ the Lord. Uh, we could look at other issues today and see some other things that go right along with this, but I want to focus and hone in on one particular truth that this morning, and that is this is that God, God, though God is completely sovereign, though God needs nothing of his own, uh, nothing outside of himself, he needs nothing, yet in his plan and in his purposes and in his, may I say this, in his grace, wants to use you and me. You say, preacher, explain that to me. I can't. I don't know. 
I don't understand why. I maybe understand just a little bit. You see, before I had children, I probably didn't understand this truth as well as I do now with children. You know, when I'm working on a job around my house and I have my boys with me, is that I know in my heart that I can do the job much better than those boys can. I know that in my heart that I am much wiser, I'm much smarter, and I'm much smart, stronger than those boys are. I know how to do the job. But you know what it is to me and within a father that wants to do? I want them to be used. And I want to teach them. And that's what a father does. And that's what our Heavenly Father does with us. He knows he's much stronger. He knows he's much wiser. He knows that in the blink of an eye, he could do everything that you ever wanted to do in your whole entire life. But yet, in his grace, in his grace, like with Zerubbabel, who would one day lift up the headstone and set it there in the temple and cry out those words, grace, grace unto it. Zerubbabel knew that it was all of grace. You and I might be small, and we are small, but let us never despise the day of small things. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful for all that you do for us. We're thankful for your son, Jesus, who came to this earth, this small little, glo- this small little place, God, that, uh, that is positioned in a small little universe in comparison to who you really are, God. Uh, Lord, you tell us that uh, heaven is thy throne and earth is thy footstool. And Lord, what am I in comparison to that? We are so small. We are so insignificant. But yet, God, in your grace and in your mercy, you loved us and sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that, Lord, we would not have to suffer eternity in hell So that, Lord, we wouldn't have to live this life wondering, oh, what are we to do with our sins and our shortcomings and our faults and our failures? But, Lord, we know and we trust that, Lord, we can call out to Jesus Christ and be saved. I thank you that I'm saved. And I pray for anybody here today that's not, that, Lord, they would be. And I pray for us as Christians that, Lord, we would see that, God, you have a purpose for our life and that, Lord, you... I've called us to that purpose, and you've equipped us. Well, thank you for it. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. There's a preacher on the radio. You've probably heard of him. He's got a great Georgia accent. I wish I could uh, imitate him for you, but I cannot. Uh, that little preacher was in Georgia, out of Decatur, I think it was, and then the Lord moved him around, and eventually that little Georgia preacher ended up in California, of all places, in Pasadena. He's got a whole entire series called Through the Bible. Uh, maybe you've ever heard of it before. His name's called J. Vernon McGee. He had a great preaching ministry. He had a great uh, uh, writing ministry. Uh, simple truths that he spoke there. But one day on a Wednesday night, he was with one of his deacons after his service. And uh, the deacon looked at him as they were at the end of service. And uh, pastor, he said, wow, we had a great crowd. He said, every seat in the auditorium was full tonight on a Wednesday night. And J. Vernon McGee was standing him and we're standing on that front porch of that church there in Pasadena, California. And he looked out across and he said, John, do you realize that in that apartment building right there, there are more people in that one apartment than there were in church tonight? 
And he said, in that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. McGee didn't forget that he was small. He never wanted to get too big for his own britches. And I would suggest to you this morning that God wants to use you for His purposes, but there are some definitely some defining features that we need to have in our lives in order for God to use us. And one of those defining features is this, is staying small. Staying small. Because God delights in using small things. He delights in using them. I find it interesting that in the book of Exodus, chapter number 16 and verse number 14, that God would use what the Bible calls a small round thing. A small round thing. Uh, That's translated as manna for us in the Word of God. To feed the whole entire children of Israel. All two million of them. He would use a small round thing. Uh, I find it interesting in Exodus chapter 30 and verse number 36 and also in Leviticus 16, the Bible says this, And he shall take of the censer full of burning fires of coal off the altar before the Lord, and his hands shall be full of sweet incense, beaten small. God would use a small bit of incense to worship him. For people to worship him. Just a small bit. Uh, The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that Moses judged not just the great, but he also judged the small. God tells us in the book of Job and also in Deuteronomy that for he maketh small drops of water, they pour down like rain upon according to the vapor thereof. For he saith to the snow, be thou on the earth, and likewise to the small rain and to the great rain of his strength. God even uses the small drops of rain for his purposes. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, I think, or yesterday, I say, you know, yesterday, 36 degrees, rainy and drizzly, that's probably one of my worst days right there, you know. It's not cold enough to snow, you know what I mean? You still have to get out, in the, get out and about in the weather and, you know, and brave the elements and all those kinds of things. But do you realize that God had a purpose for every one of those little droplets that fell yesterday? You say they were small, they were insignificant. Not to God, they're not. Not to God. God used a still small voice to speak to his prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter number 19. I love this verse in Psalm 104 verse 25. So is great and wide as the sea, wherein are the creeping things innumerable, both small and great beast. You realize that God's got a purpose for even the small little shrimps and the planktons there in the sea? Do you realize that the greatest fish in all the sea, the great big blue whale, do you know what it eats? One of the smallest animals in all the sea. Think about that. God has a purpose for every single little blade of grass that exists. The Bible tells us that in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 9 that Jesus took a small ship to get to the other side of the bank. God tells us in Mark 8, 7 that God used just two small fishes to feed a multitude. Uh, Jesus in John two fifteen, I like this, he used a small scourge of whips to run out the money chasers, the Bible says. And in Revelation chapter number 20, God will use some books to, again, judge both small and great. The word small is not mentioned in any of these passages that I'll share with you here, but think about this. He used a small boy, Samuel, to carry a message to Eli. 
He used a small boy and a small stone to slay a giant. He used a small little girl to lead a man to being healed of leprosy. He used a small and insignificant little girl named Mary to bring the Savior into a sin-cursed world. He used a small nation to drive out many nations. He even used a small man named Zacchaeus to illustrate to us that anybody can be saved. God delights in using small things. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 10 is the text in front of you. The Bible says this, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout all the earth. God sees the small things. He sees the small things. The Bible tells us this in Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 16. But Jesus called unto them and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. God used a little child, a small child, to show to all of us the way of salvation. So what do you mean, preacher? Jesus was trying to communicate this very simple truth that those that are saved, those that trust in Christ, realize like a little child. They come to God like a little child does, go to their parent. They realize they possess nothing. They possess no goodness. They possess no strength or power of their own. My little daughter comes to me, my four-year-old, in the morning. We have five children, and they all do different things in the morning. We have two that wake up hungry, my oldest and my youngest. Straight to the kitchen they go. We've got some others that do some other things, but my youngest is definitely a straight to the kitchen she goes. But she's only four. She can't reach the milk and pour it out. She can't reach the cereal and get it. She can't make her own toast, her own eggs, or whatever it is. And she'll come in, and she'll, I'll be standing there, and she'll say, Daddy, she said, can you get me some cereal, please? If I'm lucky, she says, please, you know. <laughs> I try to pull, palm that off like I'm some great parent, right? You know what I mean? I oftentimes, I say, no, what do you say? How do you say, may I please have some? Yeah, okay, so we get that out. We take care of that. Why does she do that? Well, you're her daddy. Yes, I'm her daddy. But she recognizes that she can't reach the milk. She can't get it out and she can't pour it herself. She can't reach up there and grab the cereal. Uh, She probably even realizes that maybe on this particular morning that, uh, I'm sorry, sweetheart, it's not Saturday morning. You don't get Cocoa Krispies, okay? All right? It's not going to be that this morning, all right? Uh, No, we're not having that. Uh, I've already made you some eggs, and here they are right here in front of you. Or here's some toast, or here's some apples, or or here's some milk, or whatever it is. She realizes that that daddy's here to take care of her, or that mommy's here to take care of her, or that older sister's here to take care of her. She calls out to them and asks them, and that's that's what you and I need to be in order to be saved. We've got to be as little children. We've got to realize there's no goodness, there's no grace, there's no amount of good within any of us that we can in no way, shape, or form save ourselves in any way, shape, or form. And we must call out to Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. God delights 
and small things. He delighted in a small man whose name was Zacchaeus, but yet he was small. But I tell you what, in the eyes of others, he was great. He was rich. He was powerful. He was a publican. He was a tax collector. But you know what? That man humbled himself and realized that, you know what? This is not getting me anywhere. I'm still poor. I am, I am beggarly. I have nothing really to, uh, uh, to, to, to give to God. I need something better. And here he hears of one named Jesus. And he gets a better view of him. I don't know why you came to church this morning. I don't know why you're here. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe this is just the regular place that you come every single week. Let me ask you a question. Did you come so you could get a better view of Jesus Christ? Do you have something in your heart that's telling you right now as you sit in that pew at this moment right now that the Holy Spirit of God is convicting your heart? You don't even know it's the Holy Spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit of God is convicting your heart right at this moment and speaking to your heart and telling you, you know what, you're not good. You've never trusted Christ as Savior. You're not a believer in me. And Jesus is here to tell you, say, come unto me. Come unto me. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you believed upon Jesus to save you? If you will, if you call out to him, he will save you. How is God going to use you in your life? You need to stay small. You need to stay small. 1 Corinthians 18 through 31 has more to teach us about these things. In that passage over there in 1 Corinthians, he tells us there in that first chapter, he says, he says, brethren, do you not see your calling? How there are not many wise, there are not many rich, not many powerful. That's who your calling is. The calling of God is, is, is upon those that will realize that, you know what, I am insignificant. I am nothing. I have nothing to give to God. I might be important to this world. I might be rich. I might be famous. But none of that matters in the sight of God. In the sight of God. And I throw all of that out, as Paul says in Philippians 3, and I count it as nothing but dung, as waste, as refuse. And I surrender my life to Christ and I ask God to save me. He'll save you today. Christian, may I tell you this, that if you're saved, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, don't get big. And don't get big. Don't get big. Don't get too big-headed. Amen? Don't, don't, get, don't, get, too, uh, don't get too, don't get proud. You know, when God, will, when God really humbled me, it was several years ago. Several years ago, God really humbled me. We were doing things were going well in our church, and we were running maybe 50 or so people. And I'll never forget, within six weeks, I think on a Wednesday night one time, I think it was just my family and maybe Nicosia. And it was just, what happened? And I realized what it was. You know who the problem was? It was me. Proud. Look what I've done. Look what I'm doing. And I was doing it in my strength. In my own power. 
But if you're going to be used of God, you've got to stay small. But if you're going to be used of God, you've got to also be filled with the Spirit of God. It says that in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 6. And this little verse stays on my office desk all the time. And so that when I'm studying and preparing that I can always see it. It's Zechariah 4, 6. And it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the point with that? He's telling us there in Ephesians, he says, don't be controlled by the outside agents that this world has to offer, but rather be controlled and filled up with the Spirit of God in your life that you may make right and godly decisions and do what you ought to be doing for the Christ, for, in the Christian life. God his purposes are fulfilled and spirit-filled people. He says, not by might. Might is the idea of armies. It's the idea of collective forces. We might be uh, a little delusional to think that if we've got a great church, we can really do a lot for the Lord. We can really do a lot for the Lord if we've got a lot of people. We can really do a lot for the Lord and if we just band together then we can really do something for God. And I'm not against unity at all. We need unity. But if we think in our hearts and our lives, just because we're all collectively together, that we're going to do something for God, my friend, listen to me. The Bible tells us in the, in the Old Testament very simply, he says, one of you shall chase a thousand. God doesn't need a whole lot of people to do his work. Though God may use a whole lot of people to do his work. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? It's not by might. It's not by power. The word, the word power is individualistic. It's the idea of your, your own strengths, your own abilities. And you all have your own strengths and abilities. Some of you are better than I am at other things. And I'm better at you than, uh, things than, 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 uh, better at things than you are. We all have your own strengths and abilities. Some of you are great accountants. Some of you are, 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 are great with math. Some of you are great with science. Some of you are great with management skills. Some of you work really well with your hands. Some of you are, are very this or very that. The point being is this, is that we all have our own significant powers that we have in our own lives. But listen to me. Don't rely on those. Don't simply rely on those. Use those, Amen. For the glory of God. God's given you that for a purpose, for a reason. Now use it for his glory. Amen. But don't rely on that. Don't rely on that one thing. It's not by might. It's not by power. What does he say? It's by my spirit. It's God working through us and in us for his own glory and for his honor. Listen to me, my friend. If we amass, think of, I don't know about you, but think about the, the biggest gospel preaching church that you know of right now. The biggest gospel preaching church that you know of. I know a church, membership 10,000. Regular attendance, maybe 6,000. Okay? 6,000. Now, 6,000 sounds like a lot of people. Right? What is 6,000 people in comparison to 1.2 million in Austin? What is it? The world and the devil are much stronger than you are, my friend. Much stronger. They have more resources. They have more power. The world always can do it, 
can make it more flashier, make it flashier, can make it better. Every single time. That's one reason why I don't believe the church is in competition with the world, my friend. Not with music, not with entertainment, not with fun. I'm not against, I'm not against any of that stuff. I'm not against music. Praise God, we've got some good musicians in our church. But we're in no competition. Because listen, the world will do it better. The world will do it better. We're not in competition with the world, my friend. But too many times we think we are. But you know what? Every single time that you're in competition, that you're going to think you're in competition with the world, is that you're going to lose. The world's too strong. The devil's too devious. The flesh is too weak. We can never do it by ourselves. We can never do God's will and accomplish God's purposes by ourselves. We need the strength and power of God and the Spirit of God to rest upon us. God's Spirit was upon David to kill Goliath. God's Spirit was upon Jesus to turn two small fishes and feed 5,000. God's spirit was upon Elijah to kill 850 prophets and then outrun a chariot of horses some 14 miles away. God's spirit was upon a small, irrelevant, unlearned fisherman named named Peter who preached the gospel and thousands of people were saved. That is God's spirit, my friend. What purpose is God calling you to? God used David in a mighty way whenever he slew Goliath. And he says to the people that are standing around and to Eliab, his brother, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And I never seen this till the other day. And I pointed it out maybe in one of the messages that I preached recently. But he turned him to the other and he toward another. And he spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. What is the point with that is this. Is that he looks at his brother Eliab. And uh, uh, Grant, come here for a second here. He looks at his brother Eliab and he says, he says, Is there not a cause? And then he looks at the rest of the people and he says, is there not a cause? 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 Thank you, Grant. Is there a cause? <laughs> I tell you, my friend, there is a cause. There is a cause. You say, what is the cause? How about you take the gospel to a dying world? How about you start with that one? Amen. Amen. How about we start off by just giving a gospel track to, to somebody and tell them that Jesus loves them? How about the next time that you're at, at Lowe's or Home Depot and a guy comes out with a forklift and he's got to maneuver all around and he's got to load up your truck and everything? How about you take a gospel track and put a $5 bill in there and say, man, I really appreciate your hard work. You did a great job. $5, man, I could get me a coffee at Starbucks. You never know, my friend. You know what? That might get him to read a gospel track, and he might say, you know what? I believe that Jesus Christ and be saved. Listen, my friend, you don't know what God can do if you'll just tell somebody about somebody that can save them from a certain hell. That's Jesus Christ. Why don't you just love and provide for the saints? That's what we were doing this morning. We weren't help. We were helping, yeah, Brother Porter, but you know what? We were also helping some poor brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in Zimbabwe. Why don't you pray for some people in a war-torn country like Ukraine? You know what? I just got a text just yesterday from the intern that's going to be with us this summer. His church started a church in Ukraine. The violence, he says, is right outside their doors. And he said, I know people that are in that church. I've been there. Would you pray for them? 
As soon as I got that text message, I prayed for them. Those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who they are. Could you imagine right now if shelling was happening right out here on 290? Would you be at church this morning? They were. If small arms fire was ricketing off the building, would you be here this morning? Would you be gathered together? I don't think we would be in this building with all these windows or anything like that. (laughs) We might seek safer shelter, praise God. But I'm just asking you, would you still come in church, amen? Would you still meet? Those people are. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a cause, my friend. Participating in the cause of missions. Maintaining a, how about we just maintain a godly testimony at your work, school, and home, and on your social media accounts? Uh-oh, we're getting close now. That's a cause. Why don't we do that? Why don't we just be godly, submissive wives? Why don't you be a loving and, and, and patient husband? Come on, women, say amen there. Come on now. Uh, uh, why don't you be an honoring and Christ-loving child? Oh, why don't you pray for your enemies? Why don't you forgive those that offend you? Why don't you be good to all men? Why don't you love and nurture and admonish your children in the training of them? Why don't you be faithful to your spouse? Why don't you be faithful, a hardworking employee? Be fair and honest boss. Don't take bribes, but judge fairly with equity. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor out of yourself. I could give you a hundred more. But God has called you, my friend, for his eternal purpose. Are you going to step up to the plate? Are you going to say, yes, God, I'll stay small. And God, by your grace, I want to be filled with your spirit. And then finally, I want to have serving hands. I love this, what happens. Look at verse number 7. He says, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt become a plain? You see, what had happened in those days is that Zerubbabel, though destined for greatness, was looking around a side of him, and he was seeing a lot of enemies on all sides. The Samaritans hated him. They tried to discourage him. People were uh, literally coming up to the walls, and people were coming up to the cities and cursing out the Jews. And telling them they're no good and they'll never finish this thing. And Zerubbabel looks down at the temple. And as he's looking at the temple that's being built, he realizes that it's not as big as the last one. He had a ton of obstacles that were, he was up against. But as he's building this temple, the Bible says this in verse number 7. He says, Zechariah, you make sure you tell Zerubbabel. That though it looks like a great mountain in front, of, in front of you of obstacles, he said, it's going to become a plain, smooth. Are you facing a great obstacle in your life right now? What obstacle is it? Maybe it is an obstinate coworker. Maybe it is a rebellious child. Maybe it is a sick child. Maybe it's a difficult financial situation. I don't know what you're facing. It could be a myriad of things. The point being is this, is that God in those things, God has placed you in those things. And if you are not careful, and if I am not careful, we will be tempted by Satan. And Satan always does this. Satan tempts us to believe that we cannot serve God in the season of life that we're in. He'll tempt you if you're poor, say you can't give enough. He'll tempt you if you're rich and say, the church just wants your money. 
He'll, he'll tempt you if you're sick and say, you can't do anything for God. He'll tempt you if you're well and say, you've got too much to do. He'll tempt you in all 